And when the body gets the soothing physical signal, simply stimulating, when the body pairs that signal with that feared memory or feared stimulus, it realizes that stimulus is in the past because in the present you're tapping. In the present you're getting the safety signal. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder that this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And while Dr. Church is a PhD, he's not your medical doctor. So EFT is not a replacement for going to see a health professional for serious issues like depression and trauma. That said, I am excited to talk about emotional freedom technique, which I didn't know that's what EFT stood for. I've heard of tapping many times before. And we have Dr. Dawson Church here today to talk with us about it. I also want to give a little trigger warning. We are not going to dive deep into things today, but we will be mentioning some topics that we want to make sure that you are prepared for. So be aware that we're going to bring up some heavy topics and make sure that you take care of yourself accordingly. Dawson Church is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books, The Genie in Your Genes, demonstrated that emotions drive gene expression, and then Mind to Matter, which is about the brain creating what we think of as our own objective reality. And now most recently, Bliss Brain, which we will talk about today, demonstrating how we can rapidly remodel the brain for happiness. You've heard me talk about this before. It was like neural pathways and different kinds of things like that. It's really just reshaping how our thought patterns are being expressed. And so I'm excited to talk about his groundbreaking research that has been published in many prestigious scientific journals. Over 100 scientific papers about EFT have been in peer-reviewed medical and psychology journals, and those also include randomized control trials, outcome studies, review articles by investigators from Harvard, Purdue, Stanford, University of Arizona, many other top institutions. So we're talking about legit stuff. I know it might sound a little woo, but it is 100% a great way to improve health. And one of the things, Dr. Church, that I loved that I found when I was researching you and your work is that you're using this technique and helping veterans. So you founded the Veteran Stress Solution, which has offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans with PTSD using EFT to support their emotional health. And these breakthrough techniques also work for health and athletic performance. All can be found at EFTUniverse.com, which is one of the most visited alternative healing sites on the web. Also featured in New York Times, Huffington Post, Reuters, Oprah, 
The Times of London, Larry King, Washington Post, Psychology Today, ABC is the view. I think it goes without saying that we are very grateful for you to be here on The Whole View to share with us today. So welcome, Dr. Church. Can you tell us more about yourself and what brought you to this work? Sure, Stacey. I'm so happy to be here. And like many of us, I came to this from my own personal needs my own personal story, my own personal journey. And I began as a pretty unhappy human being. I was suicidal and miserable as a teenager. I, I was raised in a Christian background, fundamentalist church. And by the age of like seven or eight or nine, I could tell that the whole uh, religious structure I was being raised in was not very healthy. And so I, I got very withdrawn. I really didn't want to be with other people. And then at the age of 14 or 15, I was having these really powerful inner experiences and then wound up joining a spiritual community, spending my teenage years, my 20s there, really looking for answers to life's big questions, as well as why I was so unhappy and how to improve it. And so I was in spirituality for a while. And then I realized that most of the people and most of the spiritual groups I knew were as dysfunctional as I was. And so I then said, okay, spirituality isn't hacking it. Let's try psychology. So I enrolled for psychology, in psychology courses at the local university and began to study all these wonderful psychological methods that have been emerging over the last hundred years. And I found, again, that most of the people in psychology were there because they were so unhappy. Often they were so depressed, they were so miserable, they were looking for solutions to their own problems. And so I really explored the whole world of personal growth. I was in book publishing as my profession. And eventually I stumbled onto energy psychology around 2000. And what I found was when I was applying techniques like EFT, which you mentioned, emotional freedom techniques, is that problems I had had, Stacey, literally for 20 or 30 or 40 years, and I had not been able to make progress on conventional therapy, suddenly I was able to solve these problems really quickly. And I got happy and happier I was meditating every day. I was doing EFT regularly, other forms of energy psychology. And I realized that not only was this affecting my psychological and spiritual well-being in an incredibly positive way, that my physical health was really improving as well. And that's what led me to write The Genie in Your Genes. And at that point, there was very little direct evidence for this, but there was a lot of inferential evidence that as our thoughts change, as our emotions change, as we blossom spiritually as we start to become one with you all it is, if we meditate, if we are having transcendent experiences, it's changing our genes. And so the research now is just all of studies, literally thousands of studies now, showing that as I improve my mood, as I improve my outlook, as I improve my sense of inner well-being, it's literally turning genes on and off. And so we now have a lot of research showing that EFT affects our, our bodies neurologically. We know that all of these positive self-help techniques, the best of them, can affect gene expression. In one study, EFT affected 72 genes. It upregulated genes to do with the cell metabolism, to do with, with anti-aging, to do with cancer suppression, to do with immunity. So the, the potential we now have for shifting not just our inner world, but our outer world, with these techniques is just awesome. And I think this is the future of medicine and psychology. One of the things that I read in your book is the story of the woman in 1952 who found serotonin 
and dissolved this idea that our brain is separate from our body physical health wise. It is mind blowing to me. That was not that long ago, like 1952. That's a lot of those people are still alive today, right? Like that generationally, the thought process that we have about gene expression and the things that we're feeling in our bodies, right? Like our physical health is and can be linked to our brain and our emotional and emotional health and wellness. So I'm happy to be taking this bridge in my own journey towards improving health and wellness, but I also think that it could help a lot of people who are still struggling with some of the things that you're talking about, autoimmune disorders. We have a lot of people who listen to the show with autoimmune disorders, and it doesn't help that for so long doctors don't help or know how to help or gaslight into saying it's not a real problem. It's either you're just anxious about it, or you just need to lose weight, or all these things that people are told instead of, this is a legitimate problem, here are some options to solve it. So I'm excited to get into that, but I think one of the first things that we need to do is to define what EFT is. Um, You use the term energy psychology, and when I was researching, I was like, that sounds like one of the most woo things I've ever heard, but... (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. It's an actual thing, and it simply means focusing on the relationship between the bioengineering systems, the neuro and the electro um, physiological processes, and the mental functions involving thoughts, emotion, sensation, behavior. Essentially, like we're talking about, all of these things are related. And I think the easiest example that I give people is if you're uncomfortable public speaking before you do that, oftentimes we feel physically sick, right? Like we have a stomach ache and we don't feel good because our anxiety, a feeling, an emotion that we're having is physically affecting us. And there's a lot of things that can happen over time, chronic in our life, where we hold stress in our bodies and it can affect us negatively. But I would love if you could talk a little more about what exactly some of those things are. So, for example, other things that fall into this category are like cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, exposure therapy, right? Like if someone's afraid of heights, Mm -hmm. doing something up high might help them. All of these kinds of things would fall into that energy psychology category as far as I understand it. Is that correct? Yeah, energy psychology uses techniques from conventional psychology like exposure. And exposure is remembering the bad things or the things we fear and really facing them. And what research has shown is that you have to light up these neural pathways around those negative events or those things you fear in the future, either the past or the future. You have to actually activate those channels of the brain. When you do and you light up these conditioned neural pathways, and then introduce a factor like energy psychology, you can radically and rapidly remodel that energy, that that path, that pathway, that signaling pathway. And I'll just use one example of somebody I worked with yesterday, actually. And this woman, I, I, I picked her out of a big group. There's a big group of people I was working with that she wanted to work with me because she had had many different forms of therapy, including EFT in the past, and hadn't been able to solve her issue, which was childhood abuse. She'd been abused by her father, by her mother, and she carried this heavy weight in her body. In fact, it was literally in her belly. And her 
phrase for it was so interesting. She said, my parents have colonized my body. They're still there. I'm an adult now. And yet they're still there as this heavy weight in my body. And I said to her, imagine if we treat this as an energy problem rather than as a psychological problem. And we use the tools of energy psychology and see if we can shift the energy. So we did. We had, we had a long session where we did EFT and other methods on that feeling of I've been invaded by my parents that's still living there in my body. And as the energy shifted, Stacy, it was remarkable to see the shift that happened in her face, in her body language, in her beliefs about herself and the world. And that energy began to change and go away. But as the energy shifted, in this long-held feeling in her belly, suddenly she began to move, and she began to move sideways, laterally. And I said, just go ahead and move the way your body wants to move. So she jumped up. She was jumping around the room. She was waving her hands around. She said, energy is flying out of my fingertips, out of my toes. And by the end of the session, she was just completely energized physically, and that heavy feeling that she'd had for decades that she'd never been able to treat either with EFT or any other form of therapy was gone. So these tools are powerful. We, we take veterans who have had flashbacks and nightmares and intrusive thoughts for decades, and we work with them. One veteran I worked with had tremendously strong symptoms and the result of four combat tours in Iraq. And he described events that were so, they were so triggering that I was like literally doing EFT on myself while he was describing them because he was describing his friends getting killed, body parts, blood, innocent civilians dying, all of these horrendous things. And then again, after a session with energy psychology, he was able to describe the same things. He remembered all of these events. Exposure was activating all the same neural pathways of memory without the emotion. He could just describe them as something from his history, from his past, that was no longer triggering cortisol, adrenaline, all of these neurochemicals in the present. And EFT is simply remembering those bad things. And then you throw in a stimulus that indicates to the body that you're safe right now. So I'm remembering Iraq. I'm remembering the bad stuff. I'm remembering what my parents did to me when I was four and five and seven years old. And now I'm doing something else as well. And that something else is what's called in psychology counter conditioning. So I have the strongly conditioned response of remembering my parents colonizing my body and going into fight or flight. That's a strongly conditioned response. I'm lighting up these neural pathways. Then with EFT, we use tapping. We have people tap on acupuncture points. And there are 365 of them all over our bodies. They flow in meridians. And as people tap, this sends a soothing signal to the fight or flight parts of the brain. And when we do EEG studies of people, we have them think about negative events and the limbic system, the emotional brain, and also the part that handles memory and learning lights up. So on the EEG, you'll have somebody think about that abuse as a child or that trauma as an adult, and the limbic system becomes highly active on the screen. You see these screen shots of people's brain activity and the fight or flight response is in full throttle. Their amygdala is activated, their hippocampus is activated. That's sending signals of stress throughout their bodies, telling their adrenals to produce lots of cortisol, lots of adrenaline. And so now they're thinking about the thing and they're going into fight or flight. 
we tap with them on these acupuncture points, introducing the safety signal. And when the body gets the soothing physical signal, simply stimulating these acupuncture meridian points, when the body pairs that signal with that feared memory or feared stimulus, it realizes that stimulus is in the past because in the present you're tapping. In the present you're getting the safety signal. And so the body says, oh, that abuse when I was five years old does not mean that it's happening right now. That was in the past. So it now relegates that to memory. I now understand that's a past thread, which I survived. And so one woman stood up after a long session I did with her at Omega Institute, and she stood up and told the whole audience, she said, I, I went through 15 years of sexual abuse as a child, and she stood up and told the audience that nothing that man could do to me could take away my joy. I was joyful underneath it all. I was joyful before. I'm joyful today. She literally turned her story of abuse into a story of victory. Now, same bad things in the past. Now, that means I'm a survivor, and I'm thriving, and I'm happy, and I'm joyful. So she turned it completely around and turned that story of adversity into one of resilience. And so that's what happens when we lose all that emotional tagging, when we introduce these safety signals of tapping while people are processing these negative memories. This podcast is sponsored by Babbel. And interestingly, I have had Wesley on here to talk multiple times about how much he's loving it. But tonight, Finn and I were out to dinner celebrating him getting his learner's permit. Oh my gosh, I cannot even believe I have three children old enough to drive. Anyway, in the restaurant, a lot of people were speaking Spanish and Finn went to an immersion school for all of elementary school and then took classes in middle school, learning basically half of everything in Spanish. So I asked if he could still understand, if he could hear, listen to what people were saying in the restaurant. He replied that mostly he could understand, but then we went on to talk about how now that he's been taking German in high school, he feels like he's losing some of his Spanish. And literally right at the dinner table, he asked me, he's like, do you think maybe I should like download a program or something? I'm like, yes, <laughs> we downloaded Babbel and I got him all set up. And I love that he's going to be able to maintain and even learn more of the language easily on his own. And for all of us, sounds are universal. You can understand sound no matter what languages you speak or are learning. Just like that one. And now you know the sound of a right answer in Babbel. You can start speaking a new language in just three weeks with Babbel. Why? Because it works. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversation. All of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. For instance, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. To get you started right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash wholeview. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash wholeview. Spelled 
B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash whole view. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, I just want to call out something that you said that I think is really important, which is that we're not ignoring these memories or experiences that we've had and trying to tell ourselves, no, I'm fine. It's fine. Toxic positivity type solution. Instead, it's reprocessing those experiences and saying, I'm on the other side of it. I was safe now. You know, I foster extremely traumatized teenagers and I have seen in them the need for these types of activities. And so I know how powerful it is in those specifically triggered moments. But I have in the process of learning that realized how powerful it is for all of us because we all have experiences that we've survived. Whether it was, you know, a a dog that got loose and chased you on your way home from school and now you're not comfortable around dogs, or it could be a variety of so many different things. And it all affects our mental and our physical health, which is where I think this idea that EFT feels like almost a biohacking solution, right? It's like it somehow is able to bridge physical wellness and mental health in a way that where oftentimes I find physical wellness culture can be harmful to our emotional well-being and in pushing those things aside or in creating other type of behaviors like orthorexia and eating disorders by going one extreme or the other. What I find interesting about this technique is it's really like sitting in your truth and then telling yourself, I'm safe. I can be joyful. I can thrive. I I can do these things. That's in the past. Can we give a little more color to the field of brain work. So I think specifically the idea of neuroplasticity is one that not everybody might be familiar with, right? So we're talking specifically about EFT, but I think when you say neural pathways and all of these different kinds of things that we're talking about, what are some of the benefits you've seen um, in doing a variety of these techniques, both in I know you've talked about the emotional piece of it, but in some of the physical health from the work that you've done, if you could share a little more kind of broadly about some of that. Emotional and spiritual health is physical health. The two are totally linked. And 30, 40, 50 years ago, people were saying, is there a mind-body connection? Now we realize that the distinction between mind and body is an artificial one. And so, for example, in my book, Mind to Matter, I talk about how our thoughts can literally create molecules in our body and are doing so every moment. The second I have a stressful thought about either the past or the future, my body responds to that thought. So I can sit here and be in a situation where I have no threats to my survival whatsoever. I'm looking out the window now. I'm seeing a beautiful garden. I have a very nice office. And so everything around me is just fine. There's no threat to my survival. I can think myself into a panic attack just by thought alone. And that panic attack and those thoughts are sending signals to my body of danger. And my body responds by producing molecules. So I'm literally producing molecules by thought. 
And the main one I focus on in research because it's easiest to measure is cortisol. We've done numerous clinical trials now at cortisol levels. And when people think stressful thoughts, their cortisol goes up. Cortisol is a master hormone that affects a whole chain of downstream genes and other hormones and produces all these changes in the body. And if you have high cortisol over time, it produces incredibly negative impacts in the body, including loss of neurons in the memory and learning centers of the brain. It produces things like reduced cell metabolism. It reduces various processes that lead to bone degeneration, muscle degeneration, skin degeneration. All of these things are the result of high cortisol. In veterans, for example, who are stressed and then have PTSD and, and don't get relief for years and years, the memory and learning centers in the brain literally calcify. We have calcium, like on our teeth and our bones. Our, calcium starts to form in our brains, but we become a bonehead. We literally have these calcium deposits in our memory and learning centers. And so this results in enormous both cognitive deficits and also physical health impacts. And so when you think, when you were able to release all of that trauma, when you're able to tap it, again, we've worked with over 20,000 veterans at our Veteran Stress Solution. We've done numerous clinical trials, numerous randomized controlled trials. We are accepted in the Veterans Administration as a safe therapy. And when we work with people in this way, we find dramatic shifts in their body. In one study I did, we had people focus on tapping and releasing traumatic memories for an hour. After the hour, when they were compared to a group getting talk therapy, their anxiety and depression, the mental part of the process, had dropped more than twice as much in the EFT group as it dropped in the talk therapy group. So big drop in anxiety and depression. Their cortisol level in one hour plunged. And so now their cortisol is going way, way down. And when that happens, it's like a teeter-totter, a seesaw, that cortisol drops. And the main thing that rises, actually a whole bunch of different things happen in the body, but the main hormone that rises when cortisol goes down is DHEA. And DHEA is our main cell rejuvenation, our main euthaning hormone. And so people who are stressed have high cortisol, low DHEA. They age quickly. The reverse happens when people tap, their DHEA rises as the cortisol drops. So we are literally creating cortisol molecules in our body or DHEA molecules purely by the quality of our thoughts and emotions. And so I tell people, if you want to biohack, man, this is it. If you want to uh, do anti-aging stuff, just focus up here. If I were given a choice between eating like at, at McDonald's every single meal for the rest of my life, and um, thinking positively versus thinking negatively and having the most superb nutrition, macronutrition and micronutrition options possible, I'd pick the positive thought in McDonald's. I, 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 you'd be way healthier because you're making all of these positive neurochemicals in your body. We don't have that choice in reality. We can eat both, eat well and support ourselves nutritionally and think positively and release trauma. But it's just magical to see how people, when they release their, their childhood trauma, their adult trauma, the potential that flows in their lives. They start doing things that they had talked themselves out of before. Spiritually, they blossom. They start to move into transcendent states. So I'm doing a whole new research cycle now on self-transcendence. What happens when you are meditating and reaching these pinnacles of spiritual 
an emotional experience that are described by Rumi and by Patanjali and all these other masters. And again, this is triggering all kinds of positive biochemical changes in your body. So the whole idea that there's a mind over here and a body over here and the two don't talk much they are, is, is incorrect. They're completely intertwined. And the best thing you can do for your body is to change your mind. I found a study from 2023, so just March of this year, and you're mentioned in it, so I'm sure you're familiar with the study, but it talked beyond just some of the things that you mentioned, also about the physiological benefits that I want to like call out specifically. So uh, you did a fantastic job of talking about cortisol. I've, I've mentioned on the show before how impactful that is to our physical health. I quit coffee, I think almost two years now, because it was, I had high cortisol. And after three months of quitting coffee, my cortisol was finally regulated for the first time in my life. But I also had a lot of memories, traumatic type feelings, events, things that I was holding in my body that I have also worked on the last couple of years that I I do know have contributed to my overall wellness as well. And some of the things that I was reading about in this study as being shown as effective from EFT techniques are beyond just kind of somatic symptoms, right? Like nervous system type things beyond just depression and anxiety. We also see that people have decreased levels of pain, that we see things like blood pressure, heart rate, endocrine, immune system improvement, as well as anxiety, depression, and, and all these kinds of things that you were mentioning. And to me, that is, that's huge because so many people were seeing such an increase in diagnosis in a lot of these things from anxiety and depression post-pandemic is the highest it's ever been. And then we also have so many health diagnosis, immune and autoimmune responses that people are experiencing. And if there's something that is accessible, that doesn't cost money, that you can do yourself, that's the other magical thing about this, right? Is that everybody in all walks of life can meditate. Everybody from all walks of life can tap and tell their self that they're safe. Like this is incredibly powerful tool that we can take forward to be working on ourselves to feel better. It's not a one-step solution. Like, do not go to the doctor because you have a serious health condition and you're like, oh, I'll just tap. That's not what we're saying. But I do think that it's a fantastic contributor to an overall plan. And certainly, in those moments where we're feeling extremely stressed and triggered, we know that breathing works the same kind of way, but we're not remapping the brain, right? We're just calming our nervous system that way. This is a technique that kind of could work in tandem with that to retrain our brain to hopefully be less triggered in the future going forward. Um, the other thing that you mentioned that I, I it, it amazes me how incredible our bodies are as much as we know about our bodies like we don't know anything yet like I wish I could come back in 500 years to know what we find out because the calcification around memories is a self-protective measure to not remember things that happen that were harmful that oftentimes traumatic triggering things we say we bury them deep we don't remember right and but really it's also 
physiologically, our body is protecting us from these psychological traumatic things. And it just it like blows my mind how the body adapts to our environment like that. It's, it blows my mind. It does. Our body is, as Bessel van der Kolk says, keeping the score. And our body is carrying a record of every insult, every trauma we've ever experienced. And maybe we don't want to go there and think about it. And that's one of the actually rather difficult challenges we face. We, we train several hundred people every year in EFT, and they get certified in EFT. And what we find is that people tend to want to avoid the bad stuff and not think about it. it makes perfect sense. Who wants to think about that negative experience in your life? And yet, as we're, when we're training practitioners to work with clients, we train them to actually encourage clients to think about the bad stuff while they tap. And what happens then is that they think about the bad things, they light up those neural pathways, we introduce this other input of tapping, which calms them down, they lose that traumatic association with that negative memory. And once we break the association one time between remembering the bad thing and going to fight or flight, that association stays broken. So now we're able to do this with people constantly, consistently. And what we find too, is that but they can then go and tackle their worst memories. Like one Vietnam veteran called Bob Culver, he's on in a video, a documentary video about our work. And what Bob said initially is that, okay, I'm going to work with you and I'm going to tap on these memories I've got and they are in front of the wall. But I built this wall ever since Vietnam and I will not think about the stuff behind the wall. I'm just not going to go there. That was on day one of a four-day uh, group session working with veterans of PTSD. By day three, Bob was going behind the wall and talking about horrendous memories from Vietnam. By day four, he was talking about those same horrendous memories with no emotion at all. He remembered them. He described them, but he'd come to peace with them. And that's the enormous shift that happens. When we work with people, for example, with fibromyalgia, and there's been a lot of research with people with fibromyalgia and other autoimmune diseases like psoriasis, for example. And you mentioned how modern medicine is ineffective with those. And modern medicine was so effective a century ago with infectious disease. So we were able to conquer through sanitation, through labeling, through consistent dosage. We, had, we were able to conquer all of these killers of the 19th century, like polio and typhoid and cholera. So all of those diseases went from killing lots and lots of people in the early part of the 20th century and the 19th century to being eradicated later in the 20th century. And so that gave us a sense of confidence we could conquer every disease the same way we conquered infectious disease. But what's happened is that modern medicine is now bumping up against all kinds of other limitations. And we're finding that those kind of huge oppressive cures aren't happening for fibromyalgia or Alzheimer's or many of the other stress-related conditions, diabetes and so on, that we have today. And it's because they aren't amenable to the same kinds of, of solutions that the early infectious diseases were a century ago. And these are these diseases of modernity are so linked to spiritual well-being, social well-being, psychological well-being, how you think and feel is having a dramatic effect on all of this. So dramatic that in longitudinal studies where people looked at 
for the period of time spans of decades, we find, for example, that mental attitude, things like optimism, produce a 10-year gain in longevity. Pessimists, on average, die 10 years earlier than optimists. Now, I normally talk way too fast, Stacey, but I'm slowing right down right now to help, help us really think about that. Okay, so just your mental frame of having an explanatory system for the world that is pessimistic. I see everything through a glass darkly. I'm looking through dark glasses versus I'm looking through rose-colored spectacles. I'm interpreting the world optimistically. And you can learn to do that. Optimists are going to both feel better in the moment because they're producing less cortisol, less adrenaline. So the short-term impact is there on their bodies. Repeat that for a thousand moments a day, 365 days a year, 10, 20, 30 years, extrapolate that outward. And the effect is a 10-year difference in life expectancy. So your thoughts and your emotions right now and the ones you're allowing to fill your mind and your heart and your body are having a dramatic effect on your long-term well-being. And so I urge people, do what you can. Do everything possible to give yourself that great future, that long lifespan, that healthy health span to where you're healthy into your old age. And the thoughts you have today and what you're doing to release stress today is having that effect cumulatively over the course of your life. What I do myself is I meditate every day. I wake up in the morning and I meditate because I want to orient myself to that sense of well-being, that wonder, that all the gratitude. You tune into that whole world of um, letting go of your local worries. In my book, Mind to Matter, I talk about local mind. And we have a local mind and your local mind is enmeshed and in, involved with the local world. And then there is so much evidence for non-local consciousness and the fact that our consciousness is transcendent and can merge with the consciousness of the universe. And so we do that in meditation. We let go of our petty worries for a while, maybe 10 minutes, maybe an hour, and suddenly you're in this world of just grace and beauty and awe and wisdom and all of these positive emotions that we know happen in people with a strong meditation practice. And then we know as well from research, it starts changing their brain. In one of my randomized controlled trials, we studied people doing a special technique I developed called eco-meditation, super simple meditation technique for non-meditators. And people did that every day, 22 minutes a day, for 28 days. And in 28 days, when we put them back into MRIs and compared them to a control group, their brain anatomy had changed. Now, this is just a stunning finding that in 28 days, the anatomy of your brain can change. Imagine if you could change your body. We went to the gym, and in 28 days, you had a different body. People's brains change dramatically in 28 days. Their suffering part of the brain, the part of the brain that obsesses about the future and the past and about bad stuff that happened back then and about bad stuff that might happen in the future, that part of the brain was much quieter, and we could detect this in the MRI in the form of low activity in that part of the brain. The part of the brain that revved up and became hyperactive was the compassion and gratitude section of the brain, the part of the brain that processes positive emotions, and they were feeling much more in the way of positive emotions. So we find that you can literally start to change your brain functioning and anatomy in only a month 
by doing these practices. And so meditate in the morning, wake up, and whatever you do in the morning, first thing, do not do this. Do not pick up this thing. Do not pick up your phone and start looking at it because it will not inspire you. What will inspire you is plugging in to those transcendent states of consciousness. And then you begin your day that way. What you've now done is you've framed your entire day for positivity, and you're likely to have a much more enjoyable, happy, productive day as a result. You then, when you get stressed during the day, you tap. You use EFT. It only takes a minute to do EFT. So you get stressed by an email, by a news story, by something somebody says to you, and you tap. And you release that stress right away. You don't let it sink into your psyche and into your body. So now we're framing our day effectively with eco-meditation. We're tapping away our stress during the day. And so by the end of the day, we feel better. So we find sleep improves, digestion improves, sexual activity improves, immunity improves. All of these things start to improve. And again, they are not only benefiting you in the moment in terms of your experience, but they're literally producing neurochemical and neurological changes inside your body. And we can measure all of this in the span of just a few days and certainly within 30 days. So you're benefiting yourself immensely by these practices. And again, as you mentioned, they're free, they're easy, they're quick. And so that's the real revolution I think is happening in, in wellness. We have all these people practicing these things. The number of meditation, the number of meditators in the US has, has risen 15 fold since 1980. 15x, 15 times the number of people are meditating. Around 20% of the population is meditating. In 1980, the number was 1%. And so people are embracing self-care in a whole new way. And this is going to show in their health and their longevity long-term. Today's podcast is brought to you by TN Dickinson's. The brand families have trusted for gentle and effective personal care, first aid and skin care for over 150 years. If you didn't yet listen to our recent bonus show with Dr. Nicole Sparks, it is worth 20 minutes of your time. I had no idea all the things Witch Hazel could do. And TN Dickinson's is known for genuine witch hazel without unnecessary additives, bringing 100% natural, effective, safe products you can feel good using, free of dyes, sulfates, phthalates, and gluten-free and safe for use in pregnancy. TN Dickinson's clinical grade witch hazel gently cleans, soothes, and treats many skin needs for the whole family, such as making skin feel tight temporarily, removing oil, reducing the appearance of pores, clearing acne-causing bacteria, and TN Dickinson's actually has a variety of fragrance-free, alcohol-free, astringent-based products made with 100% pure witch hazel, which can care for cuts and scrapes, calm redness and irritation, post-sun exposure care, and be a gentle aftershave, which those are the things that we've really taken to using it for in our home, not to mention with the hyaluronic and aloe-based formula. It's super soothing for after-sun care, aftershave, those kinds of things. In addition, they make witch hazel soothing cleansing cloths, which can remove makeup, clean skin. It's great for teens, but also those of us who sometimes just need to crawl into bed without the fuss of a full face routine. 
Their natural, effective, multi-benefit cleansing cloths are for everyone in the family, whether you're on the go or you just can't even. (laughs) But I want to be serious about this because Tan Dickinson's is dedicated to sustainability as well. I love that they are sourced from USDA certified organic forest lands and harvested using practices that promote forest regrowth. They're using innovative energy saving measures and post-processing of the witch hazel. The remaining wood chips are sold as landscaping mulch to local garden stores. You can find T.N. Dickinson's products available on Amazon or at major retailers, including Walgreens, Walmart, Target, CVS, and Rite Aid. One of the things that you talked about was this idea of optimism versus pessimism. And I think I I want to like dig into that a little bit because I never would have considered myself a pessimist. I would have considered myself a worrier, right? Like I would have defined it as before something happens in my life, whatever kind of event I was anticipating, I would run through what are all of the worst case scenarios that might happen so that I can prepare myself for the potential for that negative thing to happen? And then I would go into the activity and I would be like, okay, I'm prepared. And I would no longer have stress, but I would like be super, super stressed leading up to it for days, weeks, whatever it might be. And now, instead of thinking it is like, dark colored or rose colored, I literally have to ask myself a a change in the question, which is, what is the best thing that could happen? (laughs) Because nine times out of 10, none of those bad things ever happened. And then I was just stressing myself out for absolutely no reason. It's not like doing so actually prepared me, right? Like it's... It's not like I have water in my house for a potential apocalypse. Like, I'm not that kind of person. I just would, like, think about all of the worst-case scenarios, embarrassment, shame, anxiety, like, all these negative feelings that my body was experiencing to build up to some of the physical effects that would then happen from those feelings. And instead, now if I ask myself, what is the best thing that could happen? It's almost like my brain just lets go of everything. Like my brain isn't even at a point now where it's like, I actually want to think about the best thing that will happen, but it stops that from happening. And I see tapping, I see changing neural pathways, all of these things lead us to do that. But I would challenge that there are very few people in the world that are what you call an optimist or naturally just someone who doesn't get bogged down in worry. And maybe that's just the people I know. (laughs) I think most people that I know are not just like go with the flow kind of people. But to your point, all of the articles that I read about people who live over 100 and they interview them, like, what did, how's your life? And what did you do to get here? It's never like I ate super clean. I never drank alcohol. I never smoked. I worked out every day. Those are not the things those people say. Those people are like, I just don't care. 
I just live my life and I'm a loving, living life and I eat what I want. I do this. I do that. And it's like you could tell the interviewer is always shocked and disappointed. Like, this is not what I thought I was going to get. But it speaks to your point of those people are not bogged down in the worry, right? Like they're not living in that pessimistic state of creating that extra stress in their body, which is causing harm long term. So I just I thought I would share my own kind of personal experience with this because I for years I knew this, but I didn't really relate it to myself. And I would just be like, no, I wouldn't even have said that I was a warrior. I'd be like, I'm just I'm preparing. (laughs) What am I preparing for? I would love if we could talk a little bit about the, as you call it, the seven neurochemicals of ecstasy. So a lot of people are familiar with oxytocin or serotonin, right? And I'm fascinated by the inclusion that you shared in your book about the discovery of serotonin. And like I said, that was not that long ago. I'm not familiar with all of these blissful chemicals that are in our brain. Can you talk a little bit more about them? October 9th, my house burned down and my wife awakened me at 12.45 a.m., shook me by the shoulder, and I looked outside. I saw a glow on the horizon, which in Northern California is not a good thing at 12.45 a.m. I dashed outside the house and there's a wildfire sweeping toward our house. And I just yelled at her, we're getting out of here right now. We literally threw on clothes, grabbed our car keys, sprinted out in the, it, through this hellscape. Of, the, the winds were gusting up to 80 miles an hour. It was like a snowstorm of embers and ash just uh, swirling all around us, hitting the car. And as we had a, a huge property overlooking a beautiful valley in the wine country, and um, we had an office building there. We had a storage room there. I had a collection of classic and antique cars and a bunch of garages for, for to store them all. And as we sprinted toward our car that we were going to drive out of there, a tree exploded behind the office. And I, I've never seen anything like it. Not a tree just burning. A tree literally explode as the, the flames hit it. And we jumped in the car. We rode out just at high speed for the next couple of miles. And eventually we, we knew we were safe at that point. But it was a very close thing. Many of our neighbors died. Um, Over 20 people died. And over 5,000 homes were destroyed that night in just a few hours. So it was just this this cataclysmic experience. And so um, I won't tell you the whole story. I tell the story actually in the first chapter of my book, This Brain. But um, we went that night to a friend's house. Then they were back. And then we went the next night to a motel that was a long way away from the fire zone coast and went to bed that night. And it was, there was a, the, the moon looked like blood because of all the amber ashes in the air. And um, it was just a, a surreal experience after the fire. And I woke up the next morning and I said to my wife, we need to do something right now. And that is meditate. And so this is right off the fire. That day, the, some friends got through the National Guard line and took photographs of our property. We didn't butcher what had happened. But where the house had been, there was just a concrete slab, a pile of ash, and a chimney sticking up, a stone chimney. It was all that was left. The office, nothing was left except for a stone Buddha that was in the middle of the office. And so we knew then that our, our house was gone. 
And there we were, totally disoriented. And that, so that, that day I said, meditate. We need to meditate. We sat there and meditated. And we literally felt ourselves drop into our bodies. And suddenly we were ourselves again. And we were able to start reflecting and planning and making wiser choices. And the whole process of rebuilding from the fire was about a two-year process. It wasn't quick. We had a lot of other challenges in that two years. Our business tanked. We lost all our money. We lost all our retirement savings. I had some health problems. I had to have some operations. It was just multiple disasters in the years after the fire. But I was meditating every single day from that first day after the fire. And after a few months of, again, we'd lost all our money. We'd lost our business. We'd lost our home. We lost everything we possessed. And I would sit there and meditate. And I'd write in my journal afterwards about how prosperous I felt, about how healthy and lucky and happy I was. And after a few months of this, I was thinking, Dawson, this is seriously weird. Talk about well, how many of you just have lost everything. You're sick. You're having an operation. You've lost all your money. Your business has gone down the tubes. And you're just feeling absolutely wonderful. <laughs> what is this? And so I looked at some of the stories of meditators, some of these Tibetan monks and Franciscan nuns, and they didn't have easy lives. Some of them survived the Holocaust in Europe. Others of them survived the Chinese invasion of Tibet in 1951 and were, may have been tortured, may have had been the sole survivor of a monastery that was destroyed in all the monks' massacre. These, these people didn't have particularly happy lives. And yet we measured their MRIs, the EEGs, and they were in ecstasy. And I began to look into this one molecule called anandamide, very recently discovered. Ananda is the Sanskrit word for bliss. And in the brains of meditators, a lot of anandamide is released, and it has the same chemical structure as THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. THC and anandamide dock with the same neurotransmitters in the brain. And I began to realize I was meditating, and I was having surges of this ecstatic chemical that was just like getting a big dose of the most pleasurable molecule in marijuana. Then I began to think about, well, serotonin, what's serotonin like? Magic mushroom, psilocybin has the same chemical structure as your body's own natural serotonin. Dopamine activates the reward system of the brain, and the reward system is very active in smoking, chocolate, heroin, cocaine. So here I'm getting a big rise in dopamine. Research shows that in meditators, dopamine can rise 65%. It's like getting a slug of cocaine or heroin. And so I realized the reason I was so stoned in the morning, feeling in such ecstasy, was that I was stoned. But I wasn't stoned because I smoked or popped anything. I was stoned because I was generating serotonin, dopamine, anandamide, oxytocin, nitrous oxide, and other neurochemicals in my own brain endogenously by what I was doing, which was meditation. So I began to write about this and look into the research, and I thought I need to explain this to people. So I wrote the book, This Brain, in that year after the fire, when by all, all, all logical external reasons, I should have made me feel really depressed and sad and miserable. And instead, I was totally ecstatic after the fire. And in that next year, I wrote the book, This Brain, we then began to rebuild our lives. And of course, we were able to bring everything back that we'd lost and, and far more. So um, I wrote the book to help explain this to people, which is that we really can generate these ourselves. I read about the research showing that we do generate these neurochemicals 
I then thought, I'm going to design a series of seven meditations, each one of which generates one of those seven neurochemicals. Because you can generate oxytocin pretty easily. If you just give yourself an example, it's called the butterfly hug in energy psychology, putting your hands over your own upper arms and squeezing yourself and hugging yourself and rubbing that area, that starts to produce oxytocin. When you stroke your own face, like you stroke the face of a baby, that starts to produce oxytocin. There's stuff you can do. Certain kinds of meditation, again, are raising dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. So in my meditations, I then train people to raise them one by one. When dopamine hits, you have a 65% rise in a heroin-like neurotransmitter in your brain, you know it. It's like getting hit by a freight train. I mean, it's this morning I meditated and I sat there for a while, entered that bliss brain state, and it's like, wow, this ecstasy hits and you're literally shaking with bliss. It's so intense. So I've designed these meditations. I've been teaching them now for a few years. Mind Valley has a best-selling course where I train young people. That course is, is, is aimed at non-meditating younger people. Other uh, programs like one called Getting Into Bliss Brain that I offer for a more general public. But again, the same principle of generating these neurochemicals in your brain. And so you start to feel ecstatic. You start to feel that sense of transcendence. And the other thing about these neurochemicals is they're highly addictive. Once you get used to feeling that bliss of dopamine in your brain every morning, no one needs to remind you to get up and meditate. You don't need to set your alarm clock. You don't need to have a, an accountability partner to ensure you meditate. You are as motivated to meditate as an addict is to get their next shot of cocaine or heroin. You're in a, become an addictive meditator. I talked to one woman, walked into one of my workshops and said, Dawson, I heard about your meditations. I decided I was going to do them for 30 days, every single day without fail. And I said, well, that's, that's a wonderful resolution. And what day are you on right now? She said, I'm on day 164. <laughs> I thought, there's an addict for you. You're just addicted to feeling good. Why do you want to go back to feeling bad after you felt so good? So you feel these for the very first meditation you do. You feel that surge of dopamine, and then you feel oxytocin, then you feel, and then you feel norepinephrine, then, then you feel serotonin. So we can train ourselves very quickly in a few days to generate these molecules in our brain, enter bliss brain, get addicted, feel that good, and then make that part of our habit set. It becomes very natural to meditate because you used to feel feeling that good, and then you train your body to expect to feel that good. Now, does that mean you never have a bad day in the future? Of course not. You have bad days, your dog dies, your parent dies, your child dies, uh, the world's in chaos, there are all these things happening in the news to disturb you, and you, you're, you're a normal person with a normal life. But you have spent the first part of each day meditating and entering bliss brain. Now, bad stuff happens. You may get sick, you may lose your job, you may lose your money, but you are resilient. And research shows that this produces an enormous surge in resilience. So now you have the internal strength to meet all of those external challenges that are going on. We also show that it produces an explosion of joy, like the amount of joy that these Tibetan monks and nuns feel in meditation. We measure certain brain waves to actually quantify the amount of joy they feel. And some of them are showing 25 times the amount of joy of the average human being. 
Again, not 25%, 2,500% higher than the average baseline. These people are living in ecstasy, even though materially they have nothing. So you start to learn to produce these feelings of joy. And the th other thing we find happens besides joy and resilience, the other big marker of these people is creativity. Their creativity increases dramatically. And we've now measured people doing eco-meditation for a month. And their productivity at work and home, how productive you are, increases 20% in one month. So now every five days, you're able to accomplish what used to take you a week before. So you're becoming way more productive, way happier, way more resilient against the shocks and disturbances of everyday life. And your, your quality of life just dramatically improves. So do you want to ever go back and do all the same old things you did before? No way. You get used to, habituated to, your body gets conditioned to well-being and you then tend to stay there the rest of your life. So that's what we're, we're finding. I'm now doing much more advanced research than that on our brain structures, which structures of the brain are active. I'll be publishing a new book in a couple of years about those brain structures. And it turns out that every human being contains structures in the brain that predispose them to these experiences. Most people don't activate those structures, but they're there. And we all have the capacity to not only generate these neurotransmitters, but also to activate these brain structures. So um, again, the people who do this are living a dramatically better quality of life, are much healthier, and are likely to live much longer and happier lives. I cannot believe I have kept this secret so long, but I am so excited to finally share that this week, Beauty Counter has launched, wait for it, EWG Verified Clean Perfume. Let's just take a minute to take that in. Perfume that's clean. Fragrance with full transparency and no fragrance listed on the label for loopholes. Just all of the sustainable, safer ingredients that we want on our bodies. If you recall, things that you spray or inhale are absorbed at a higher rate than things just put on the skin. So fragrance is one of those things that has always been super important to me to avoid. I love that the Clean Eau de Parfum is one of 14. This is just one of 14 new sets that launched this week at Beauty Counter. You can check out my other recommendations and highlights at realeverything.com October. And if you decide to make a purchase this month, I'm donating to RIP Medical Debt. Each holiday set sold equals $100 of debt eliminated. Last year, we were able to raise over $32,000. I chose this in October specifically because it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And while I educate on prevention all year long, helping survivors not worry about the stress of debt feels like a wonderful holiday gift that our collective community can give. Made with sustainable fair trade and skin nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is raising up beauty. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on our health for all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone, giving back to people and the planet as a certified B Corp. 
go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website. And don't forget to check out my special private deal just for you listeners. Go to realeverything.com slash October for more details. And when shopping at Beauty Counter, choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can thank you. It's it's hard to process. I hear what you're saying about the desire to want to continue to meditate once you start because you get this positive boost and then you want more positive boost. I liken it to the endorphins that people get from physical activity and then wanting to run longer or more often. I don't get that. (laughs) I don't get the same result that I get what it does for some people. But I, I lost a brother to addiction from trying to self-medicate from mental health challenges. And it's hard to hear like, well, it can create a positive addiction. So I just, I want to call out to anyone who might be listening and felt a little like uncomfortable with that word or analogy. I, oh, I get it because I want those positive things that I wish that I could gift it to the brother that we lost, whose birthday was yesterday. So it's very fresh for me. But at the same time, what, could he still be here had we known now what we knew years ago when he passed? I don't know, but I do know that the traditional routes of recovery for his addiction, for the medication that he did not like taking because he didn't feel well with it, and so he self-medicated in other ways. I think, gosh, even just in five, ten years, the changes and growth that we've had as a society, as a community in terms of our understanding of mental well-being, of our compassion for it, of the progress that has been made and the research and support going into it, it's very different. And so if nothing else in his honor, I like to focus on these things to potentially help someone else in not having that same negative effect and hoping that the traumatized youth that we foster who have attempted suicide or these kinds of things are now in a better place because of the support that they're getting, that we're doing, that we as a collective community are also doing. Like, it's not just about one person. Like, you can do the work, I can do the work, but if community doesn't have compassion for people who are working on these things or who have been through trauma, then it it can neutralize and create this negativity towards what people are trying to do and grow. And we see it so often online, right? Like the bullying or the negative talk of people who are trying to work on themselves. Like it's, <laughs> it's the opposite. It makes no sense to me, right? It's like making fun of someone who's overweight, who goes to the gym. Like, but how does that, like, we don't get to make fun of people who have these challenges, who are trying to do better or whatever it is. Like, where, why do we think that we get to judge or bully other people? It's, it's hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I, I sympathize with your brother's loss. And I know how hard it is. Usually at an anniversary, really, we'll bring it all up again. So I totally hear you. And 
Yeah, my wife and I lost a nephew as well to to addiction. He would try and get clean, and then he relapsed after a while. And we don't know what he eventually took, but we suspect it was laced with fentanyl, and that's why he died in, in his late twenties. His mother just found his body one one day, and it was the, this story is told over and over again. And yet his name was Dylan, and yet yet I, I tell myself, Dylan just wanted to feel good. <laughs> that's why he was taking this stuff, and. We he, Dylan didn't know that he could generate these things endogenously. Uh, exogenous is from outside of yourself, endogenous inside the body. And so Dylan was looking for an exogenous fix, an exogenous source to make himself feel better. And of course, if you do smoke weed or if you do take ecstasy or take ayahuasca or psilocybin, any of these things, you do feel better. They produce these pleasurable altered states. What people don't realize and what society has not really begun to educate us about is that the only reason that molecule that you take, like psilocybin, makes you feel good is that your body has a receptor for that molecule already in your brain. That's the only reason that molecule works. There are 100,000 molecules in marijuana. One of them, only one of them, THC, docks with a particular receptor site in your brain. And so what we don't realize and don't educate people on is that you can learn to generate all of these neurochemicals endogenously. And you can develop practices like certain styles of meditation that will produce that THC-like substance, anandamide, that will produce that psilocybin-like substance, serotonin, dopamine. You can learn to produce all of these things endogenously. And that's what all of these meditative practices have discovered over the millennia, is that you don't need to go outside of yourself to get something to make you feel good, you're able to generate that internally with certain mental and spiritual practices. And we haven't really realized this as a society. We are teaching people, you can feel way better and generate all this activity in your body, all this neurochemical activity in your body, purely by your thoughts and emotions and spiritual practices. And so these people are trying to feel good. And that's why they go and use those drugs with all those side effects, you can get the same or very similar effects in your body simply by healthy practices and feel as high. And these are endogenously produced inside your body in safe amounts. You can't overdose on your own serotonin or your own dopamine or your own anandamide. You just start to feel really good. So our society has really oriented us to looking for satisfaction by grabbing Oxycontin or a street drug or something, and from the outside and putting it inside, we simply don't realize as a society, we generate all those neurochemicals in our body. We just have to learn to unlock them to produce that same pleasurable experience. I think it's interesting. We, you mentioned earlier this idea of awe, and you're mentioning also spirituality. And I want to just call to the fact that there is also research and science that supports that even if you're not going into full meditation and actively tapping, that just going out and experiencing something that has you feel the emotion of awe can bring about some of the things that we're talking about. That the idea of realizing if spirituality to you is as it is for me, like the idea that science and the universe and Mother Earth and all of these things are incredibly powerful. And I am in awe of 
the grain of sand that I am in our universe and being able to see the moon big and bright or being able to see um, constellations, being able to, I, I have travel plans this week to go see the Aurora Borealis, which has been on my bucket list, right? Like all of these kinds of things, when we experience awe, it creates um, a more positive life experience, right? So if you're looking for that positivity, what's the best that could happen mindset going for things that create that sense of awe? And it can be, I think of motherhood, right? Like I, I remember being a new mother and looking at my infants that my body grew and that I then birthed and just feeling an absolute awe of this life that I created because I loved my husband so deeply. And oxytocin was very strong back then. It was also strong for breastfeeding and from physical touch, skin to skin, all of the things that I learned back then. And now I'm realizing the full picture of it's not just when you're postpartum, if you give birth to a baby, you can experience those same things if you're adopting with a toddler, with my teenagers. Oh, my goodness. When my teenagers hug me, it I mean, like the fact that they want to be in the same room with me and aren't rolling their uh, eyes at uh, me. Like I experienced that same rush of my birthday and my 18 year old gave me several hugs and it really meant something like he was expressing how much he loved and cared about me in a in a deep way and I'm I'm like getting those feelings right now reliving the memory of a positive feeling right like these positive hormones that was associated with that and we can attach ourselves to those things and to create the awe and the positive connections when we let go of not ignore right but when we process and we let go of holding on to the negative feelings and the negativity that then gets into our body. So I really appreciate your educating us on all of this stuff. And listeners, if it's feeling a little woo, I want to encourage you to go to EFT Universe. You can learn more, but I also want to point you to Dr. Churches put up a link for us at DawsonGift.com. That's D-A-W-S-O-N Gift.com. Can you tell us about listeners myself will find there in terms of meditations or experiences or education that is there for us? Yeah. So Dawson.com, we have two items that we feel are really essential fundamental well-being uh, activities. The first of those is a manual or how to do EFT yourself. It's very brief. It's less than 70 pages long. At the very end, there's EFT on one page. So flip to the end of the manual, look at that EFT on a page, and just practice it once or twice yourself to get a feel for how it shifts your emotions, how it shifts your body. So at DawsonGift.com, you'll get that EFT manual. And the second thing you'll get there is a meditation track that we did, we did after a clinical trial. And and in that clinical trial, we had a group of people who were meditating for a weekend. And we found that in that weekend meditation, their cortisol dropped dramatically and their immunity rose dramatically. In another study done over the course of a week, 
we found their immunity rose over 100%. So this produces a big effect on immunity. And we built that into a special meditation on immunity. So you get those two things, the mini manual and this immunity meditation. So start with those two things, practice them, do the meditation first thing in the morning, tap when you're stressed. Now, there's a lot else you'll see there too. Through DawsonGift.com, you'll see our certified practitioners. We have an app called Stress Solution where you can tap with a practitioner on demand. You just log on to Stress Solution, create your account. Your first session is free. And then when you want to work with a, a qualified professional, just go on there, find someone who's available, click the link, and right away, you're in a tapping session with them. So there's the practitioner group. There's the, the app. There's also workshops. We have lots and lots of workshops, in-person workshops, virtual workshops. So you can take a workshop and then really get into, into depth with the EFT. But the first two things just to start with are the manual and the meditation. At that point, you'll be meditating every morning. You'll feel all that serotonin, oxytocin, and anandamide in your body. And then when you're stressed, you'll tap. And just those two simple, quick, free practices at DawsonGift.com are to start to move the needle. You'll want to explore further after that, but start with those two fundamental ways of taking care of yourself. That's great. I'm excited that resource exists. Thank you for sharing it with us. I always like to leave listeners with something positive and actionable that they can walk away with today when they're done listening to the show to go be of service and work on themselves or to help others. I always ask people to share their ideas, clearly going to DawsonGift.com to start tapping to, to learn and practice EFT would be on your list. But do you have any other suggestions that listeners can walk away with today and do after the show is over? So in my book, Mind to Matter, I list about 30 epigenetic practices that are shown to change gene expression, things like time and nature. Things like grounding yourself, contact with the earth, things like positive movies and media. And so I recommend you play around with those 30 things and really build your lifestyle in a way that makes you resilient. And we find that different practices work for different people. Like in this point, I have seven different styles of meditation. Some people really love a very quiet, very stationary very reflective meditation. For other people, that doesn't work at all. They need to dance. They need qigong or tai chi or yoga. So we recommend you play around with those seven meditation styles in Bliss Brain and then find one that works for you. The right meditation, the best possible meditation, is the one that maps onto your lifestyle. If you're a working mother, a style that requires two hours every morning, is probably not going to work for you. <laughs> it wants me to take five minutes that you can do really quickly. But maybe you're retired and you do have that time. You want to get deep into those transcendent states and you do have that two hours in the morning. So play around with all of those meditation techniques. Find the one that works for you. If it's dance, do dancing. I know my wife and I have a fairly furniture-free house because often after dinner, we'll put on music and we'll dance up the stairs and down again and around the living room. And we'll sometimes open the doors and windows and dance out into the street. <laughs> we just love dancing. And so that is a style of connecting with the infinite and with each other that really works for you. So play around 
with things that work for you. Maybe dancing isn't your thing. Maybe it's reading inspirational authors. That's really powerful for you. But play around with all seven of those meditation styles in this brain and find one that maps onto your lifestyle. And then once you have that, you'll start to practice that easily because it works for the rest of your life. So that's the biggest thing for self-care is to find the meditation style and the way of shifting yourself epigenetically that works best for your particular circumstance. I am so glad that I asked you and didn't just assume only meditation because I think that's really helpful. I am one of those people that cannot just sit still in silence. It does not work for me. But I have found a lot of things that bring about feeling positive and dancing isn't it, but I'm going to look at the rest of the list to see. And I do know that during the pandemic, I quit all shows that were causing me anxiety, right? Like we used to watch a lot of stressful shows, whether they were medical related or crime related or whatever. And now I just really enjoy shows that make me laugh. I watch a lot of stand-up comedy or silly reality shows that make me feel like my life is great because I don't have what's going on. (laughs) And I, I think it is important to really be aware of everything that you're doing throughout your day, how you feel after. And if you are consuming content, whether it's on social media or TV or podcasts or whatever it is, and you, when you're finished, you feel less than or you don't feel as good. Like these are the things that lead to that negativity building up in our body over time, right? Like we're thinking negatively. That is a thing that is contributing to it. So definitely, I would say evaluate some of that stuff too and think to yourself after you're done, what am I doing? You got a thumbs up there? Two thumbs up. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> well, I laugh oh. a lot. Babies laugh an average of 300 times a day. Research shows that adults laugh an average of 20 times a day. Wow. That's a 95% reduction. And we just need to learn to take ourselves lightly, find the joy in life, and laugh. Just enjoy our bodies, enjoy our partners, enjoy our imperfect lives, and find them hysterical and just live this exuberant life. So that's really the promise of the human condition is that you can, despite your difficulties and deficits and things that aren't going well, there's so much to be grateful for, so much to help your heart overflow with gratitude. Focus on that every day. Laugh, live. This is your life. This is the only one you've got for the moment, and you may as well make the most of it. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. And listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to EFTUniverse.com and also on all socials at the EFT Universe on Instagram, or um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the other things. But if you just go to EFTUniverse.com, I'm sure all the socials and everything will be linked. And then also you can head to DawsonGift.com for the free resources. And we'll, of course, put those links in the show notes for you where I've also put a list of resources from the different things that we've discussed today. And you can find those all at realeverything.com. You can also head to patreon.com slash the whole view to get all of our shows delivered to your inbox ad free, which is a really great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves. And if you've enjoyed the show, another way to support it would be to leave a review saying so. It costs you nothing except about 30 seconds of your time and makes a huge difference in our ability to be able to continue to do this work and to reach more people. 
Don't forget to follow or subscribe in whatever podcast you're using. And as always, we appreciate your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal change. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Thank you so much. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.